Good morning. I'm Pastor Jerry DeHart and wanted to welcome you to Chesterland Baptist Church. We want to worship together as we seek the Lord. We are His people. We are forgiven people. We are forgiving people. And as we come together uh, through the miracle of the technology again, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we join each other's hearts and pray uh, together as we seek the Lord as part of His body in Christ. Uh, I'm in Indiana, and this is my uh, office at home uh, from down in the basement. And so I want to invite you to come on in, take your Bible. We're going to go through uh, Acts 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 12 today. And as we uh, open up with a word of prayer, uh, again, I would just invite you to think about this day as part of the ongoing story that God is working in your life as he's working in the lives of the men and women here we see in the scriptures. But as I begin, let me share a, a scripture verse, and then we'll go to prayer and we'll jump into the sermon. Psalm 145. This is a psalm of praise of David. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. And every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. And one generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. And men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. Well, that's certainly true for those who are walking with Christ. And, and I hope this week has been a, a, a time for you to draw close to the Lord. And as we do so right now, would you bow with me and, and, uh, in a word of prayer? And we'll just ask God to continue to do what he does. Join me now. Father, thank you that you are the God of peace, you are the God of grace, and that you give grace and glory to those who seek you, and you withhold nothing from those who walk uprightly with you. Father, thank you for watching over us this week. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your presence, that you've been a present help in ages past, and you'll be a help until the very end of our lives. And Father, we just want to thank you this morning to praise you and praise your name because you are great and the wisdom and the wonders are unsearchable. Lord, as we look to you now as your sheep, we, we come as a scattered people, but we know that you know exactly where we are and that your eye is on us as uh, we now look to you. Father, would your Holy Spirit uh, give us the freedom in our hearts to lay the concerns of the world aside. We know that there are many who are affected by the virus, and we pray for them. We can't do anything about that, Father, but our, our eyes look to you. Uh, just help us in this period, but we, we cast those cares before you, and we now look to you, Father, to uh, hear us, worship you, and teach us as we Learn from your spirit. So be with us now 
as we go through this passage in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts is one of my favorite books. Actually, I'll tell you a story. Uh, when I was uh, in Mexico in 1979, I studied the book of Acts for two years. And I would study it to learn my Spanish. And so I studied with one Spanish version here and another English version here. And so I have a deep affinity for the book of Acts. And uh, it was in the book of Acts I really learned how to do Bible study. And so if you haven't been in the book of Acts, and, and uh, again, I would just want to encourage you that you just can't read through the Bible because uh, you're going to miss a lot of these nuggets. But if you take time and think through and, and ask God to walk with you through this, uh, you'll find some wonderful things. So I hope today uh, the, the theme that we're going to follow on is, again, it's the movement of the Holy Spirit and the Church of God as he's uh, preparing his people to move out. We saw that last week. And this week, uh, some new things are happening because... From Antioch, uh, the shift from Jerusalem to Antioch, some things are going to be taking place. And so let me read Acts 13, beginning 1 through uh, down to verse 12. Now there were at Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to, to Cyprus. And when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they ha had also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you, son of the devil, you, enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. May God add his blessing to this word. 
All right. I've titled this Ordained, Opposed, and Overcoming. It's about the gospel in motion as you see God moving in, for the first time, moving out of Jerusalem uh, and out of Antioch into the uttermost parts of the world. Now, we know from our study of Acts that the word always has been opposed by false prejudices, by uh, heathen superstitions, by human uh, learning. Uh, they've kind of anchored their, their own biases. We've seen kings and uh, political people uh, show their cruelty. We've seen the devil's influence. We've seen different cultural worldviews as they've come together uh, against the gospel. But you also see a lot of personal resistance. Is that there's something about those who are not open to the Spirit of God at work. And so you find a lot of resistance in the scriptures uh, when you have the flesh versus the Spirit, when you have that tension going on. And likewise, we're just coming off of this in, in our study in Acts. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out during Stephen's time, uh, when Stephen was killed, many traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they spread the word among only the Jews. Some of them, Acts, uh, Luke says in Acts eleven nineteen. some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went north to Antioch, and they began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord. Well, after that persecution, uh, remember just a couple of weeks ago that there was a prophet named Agabus who left Jerusalem and he came up to the church of Antioch because Antioch had been growing so fast and, and Barnabas had gotten Paul over there and the church at Antioch was growing and moving in such wonderful ways. But when the prophet Agabus came up, he made a prophecy and he warned them of the coming famine. Uh, but the, mis the miracle is not just about the prophecy that Agabus gave, uh, not just the, 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 the word of the famine, but it was the fact that now a group of people who are outsiders of Jerusalem, Jews and Gentiles, they took an offering sending relief to Jerusalem. And this they did by the hand of Barnabas and Saul as they went down to Jerusalem. This is in Acts 11. Well, while Barnabas and, and Saul were there in, Acts, in uh, Jerusalem, they watched God do many things. And first of all, they saw uh, Herod uh, persecute and kill the apostle James. Then Barnabas and Saul saw where Herod tried to arrest Peter. And Barnabas and Saul saw how God had rescued uh, through the angel Peter and brought him to the house through the intercessory prayer. All these things happened. And then, then, the, then Barnabas and Saul observed and found out that Herod himself, uh, God had removed. All that's in chapter 11. And then in chapter 12, it says, After Herod had been removed, then the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. God had taken away the opposition 
And Paul, uh, Barnabas and Saul saw that when they were in Jerusalem. And while they were there, they picked up with them John Mark, as he's called in Mark 12.30. But John Mark, Barnabas and Saul, now as those three, uh, they, they saw God's Spirit at work in Antioch through loving, through the release of Peter, through the death of Herod and the spreading of the word. And now they return, they return to Antioch. Now, it says now, at this point, at this season, the Spirit of God thought there was a new uh, work to be done. And the church in Antioch, as it begins to explain, the church leadership in Antioch had many prophets and teachers. The church was on the move. And there are five men that are mentioned here, Barnabas of Cyprus, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, and last, but not least, is Saul of Tarsus. Well, remember that when they came back from Jerusalem, they also brought with them John Mark, a young man in training, as it were. But these men were actively engaged in the ministry. They were gifted. They were experiencing uh, ministry as they were helping people, discipling people. But they worked as a team. And as they worked as a team, it just seems like they were focused on uh, faithfully ministering the word and prayer as they were really focused on and committed to walking with Christ and becoming sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They were responsive. Now, Think for a minute, how did this team come together? These are strangers as far as we know, and the Bible doesn't tell us much about this. But one of the things that we do know, and we'll see here again in, in this chapter, is that the fact that God is at work bringing people together from different corners of the world. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, uh, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And that's what happened. God formed a team by the Spirit, and you see the Spirit is not just a force, but he's a person who's directing and guiding uh, the work of the Lord in Antioch, in the team, and through the body. And so in verse 2, it has a little phrase there that's really interesting. It's really worth meditating on. Actually, it says, they were ministering to the Lord. Now, that's an interesting concept because we think that God ministers to us, but often we don't think about reciprocating. How, how can we give to God? How can we not just worship and praise Him, but how can we come alongside Him and minister to Him? Well, the word... Uh, shown here is that they were ministering to, to the Lord and fasting, which meant that their focus, their, their sensibilities were just kind of concentrated on getting to know Christ and then serving him. The word has to do with a liturgy, the liturgia, but when, the, when they were involved in worship and ministry, helping people focused on Christ, something unusual happened. 
Now, at the Church of Antioch, the Holy Spirit spoke. There are only three times in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit actually speaks. Two times in the, in the Gospels when we hear the Father say, This is my beloved Son. But in this case, you've got a team of people, the whole group is listening, and they hear the Spirit say, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do that? How does he speak to the church? How does he speak? Uh, how did he speak there in Antioch? How did he call Saul and Barnabas as a, uh, to a special missionary service? Well, the answer is we don't really know, except most likely it's, it was through the means of a special revelation that God's uh, Spirit spoke either to the, one of the three teachers, not Saul and not Barnabas, but to some of the other prophets and teachers. It is possible that, that Barnabas and Saul uh, received the word, but here you have a team mentioned. This special revelation could have been a vision, it could have been a verbal command, or the still small voice of the Spirit. The Bible doesn't say. But Luke does record for us that the team all acknowledged that the Spirit of God was speaking. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called him. Well, these are the points that you hear the Spirit of God at work on the move. The Spirit, one, sets apart. And he sets apart through the team of these five men. Two, the Spirit of God calls them to do a work. Uh, he directs them to a specific work in verse 2. And three, not only does he commission, but he ordains them. And that ordination is, is that mission and that ordination unify, unifies and mobilizes the team. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. They sent them away. We're going to look at this team. Uh, we're going to look at the ordination and the idea that the Spirit of God is calling people, and he still does. But I want you to hear that, at least according to this passage, Saul did not get his marching orders directly from the Holy Spirit. He was confronted by God uh, through Christ in the, on the way to Damascus. But here in the direction of his next step in the missionary journeys that he's about to take with Barnabas, Paul gets his orders through the body of Christ. And that is a particular, particularly important idea because there's accountability, there's a, a, a shared vision, there's a body involved, and not just an independent calling like some people would tend to think. But recognize that the Holy Spirit used the body in recognizing the calling on Barnabas and Saul at this point. And so, let's start off. Verse 4. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. You can see on the, on the graphic, if we can get this to work on the screen, uh, that they had to go from Antioch, which was 16 miles down to the coast, of, uh, to the ocean. And this took place 
again, about 14 years after the resurrection of Christ. Uh, they go down to Seleucia. And what a beautiful place that is. A hilly, a hilly place by the ocean, full of inlets and bays. And there they walk through to find the boat that's going to go out uh, to the first place. They're going to go to Cyprus. I've shown you on the screen that you'll see the whole Mediterranean is at this point in time under Roman rule. And so you'll find a lot of uh, Roman and Greek uh, Gentile places that they're going to be sent to because that's where the Spirit of God wants the message to go. And so they start off at Seleucia, and as they move into, uh, they leave Seleucia, they go 70 miles to the nearest island of Cyprus. Cyprus is not that big. From Chesterland down to Columbus, maybe, it's, it's about that size uh, in, in Ohio. But um, they're going to be leaving, and they're going to go to Cyprus. They're going to go to Cyrene. And you'll mention, uh, I put Judah on the map too, because it's interesting to see why, why do they choose to go to these places? Well, Cyprus, you'll see, is the home of Barnabas. Cyrene is the home of Simeon and Lucius. And Menaean was there in Judah, in Jerusalem. And so it just seems, as they start off this mission, that they're coming out of the Mediterranean mission. And uh, you think about what that means for them to go back to their hometown. One of the things about this area is it's it's north of the equator, and you'll see from uh, Syria across to the uh, northern part of Africa, if you take that all the way across the Atlantic, you'll find you're in the upper uh, edges of Texas down to the northern part of Mexico, and you'll find that whole era, uh, area in some of these places, just kind of like the, um, the territories in, in the southern southwestern United States. The temperature at that time ranged from 75 to 57 degrees, quite moderate tropical, and therefore they wouldn't need to carry a lot of luggage and they wouldn't have a lot of things to uh, encumber them. And so they were free to move and they did. And so as you go into, uh, as you go into the, the story about Cyprus, you'll come into another a wonderful island culture. It's a culture full of, of, of again, uh, Jewish synagogues. You'll find uh, pagan synagogues. You'll find the occult there. You'll find lots of things there, but it's very much Greek and, and Roman in its orientation. But Cyprus, interestingly, uh, I, it doesn't say that Barnabas suggested to the Holy Spirit, I'd like to go back home to reach people back home. It didn't say that, but Cyprus was kind of on the way. But they stopped at Cyprus, and they went to the town called Salamis. Interestingly, Barnabas starts the first missionary journey by going to his hometown. Um, it would be 14 years later that Barnabas would return to Cyprus and be stoned to death. So 
that's another story, a pot of coffee you might want to look at. But you find, as, as you use your imagination and you find them coming in to this island of, uh, of, of Cyprus, they go into the harbor there. And I've shown you uh, that, that the flag of Cyprus is a, uh, is a flag that's, uh, the island is in gold. And the reason why it's in gold with those uh, olive leaves underneath it, the, the island was famous for its uh, uh, bronze, its, its uh, copper, its salt. And, uh, and so the Romans wanted to occupy this. And so at the east end, at the east end of, uh, of the island is where they start. Uh, actually, Cyprus itself, uh, the word means copper. And so as they go onto the island, uh, you'll find uh, the relief <clears throat> is that it's not just a, uh, a flat island, but there are mountain ranges. And so they start in on the east side and they walk through the island, passing the salt mines, passing the famous Five Finger Mountains of Cyprus. So it's rugged. It's a nice walk. But it certainly looks like North Texas or Northern Mexico in some ways that I've been to. But they walk all the way through and they stop and they start to preach the gospel at the synagogues uh, along the way. Uh, nothing is said about the work that was done in the synagogues. But that was the typical way that, that Paul began to think about is that you would first, at least at this point in his life, he would start with the Jew, with the synagogues, as he said in Romans 1, uh, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all men, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. And that, that pattern for Paul, he would often stop at synagogues, and, and actually, he would stop at the synagogues in in, in the Antioch and Pisidia, in Iconium, Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Corinth, and here in Cyprus at Salamis. There were several synagogues. And it was a way that he would start, at least, to get to know uh, people. And uh, But as he goes with Barnabas into his hometown, they, uh, they go in and they share the story about the gospel, that, that Christ has come so that there's uh, a righteousness given and, and the righteous people would live by faith that, got, that has been revealed in Christ. Well, let's move on. As, as you see, uh, Barnabas uh, and Saul moving the gospel through, uh, they finally came to the end of the island where they meet their first Gentile convert. Now again, remember this, this island was uh, uh, sought after for its resources, and there was a man there uh, who was proconsul from the uh, Roman government, and his name was Sergius Paulus. He became the first convert for, uh, for the team there, but he was a special man. And look what it says about Sergius. It says he was the proconsul on the opposite side of the island at Paphos. He was a man of intelligence. Sergius also 
heard about Barnabas and Saul, and he asked to hear the word of God. <clears throat> now, it's, <clears throat> it's interesting at this point that you hear me struggling a little bit with Paul's name, Saul's name, Saul and Paul, because it's very common uh, to have a Jewish name and a Latinized or Romanized name. And so, so Sergius Paulus would then call for, would call Paul by his Romanized name, and he would ask to hear what the message was. Make no mistake, I think John Mark was with them as they went along, but he's not included in the story. But he was probably certainly present. But it says this Sergius Paulus was a man of intelligence. And he summoned, and notice the order, it was Barnabas and Saul here. And he wanted to hear them explain the word of God. Now, imagine the scene that you've got a Roman official who's calling you to present the gospel because he's honestly, intellectually, maybe for other reasons, but it says he wanted to hear the word of God. And one of his entourage named Elimus, Elimus Bar-Jesus, he interfered and he said, uh, Proconsul, you don't want to hear these men. I, I have been on your advisory council and I would suggest you don't pay attention to these men. Elimus means he was also a sage. And now an intelligent man like Sergius would certainly have intelligent people around. But this Elimus Bar-Jesus was known because he was one, Jewish. And two, he was one to give the interpretations, much like uh, those interpreters of dreams uh, during uh, Daniel's time. But he was a magician. And so he would call upon whatever sources that, to produce an interpretation. But God calls him a false prophet. But nevertheless, he had somehow wiggled his way into this position of power. And Paul called him a child of the devil. He was full of deceit. Even so, Barnabas and Paul are now talking to Sergius. And so it would go something like this. Your Honor, we are here in Cyprus to talk about the message of Jesus Christ. He is the one the prophets of old testified to in the Old Testament. And now, because of the, the events in Jerusalem, you've heard about how this one was pursued and crucified. And then he came to life after three days and was resurrected from the dead. And there he showed himself to many of his followers. And, and as such, he was uh, uh, the one that they declared to be the fulfillment, the Messiah who fulfilled the promises of God. And as Barnabas and Saul began to explain what had happened in Jerusalem, only 70 miles away, The proconsul would be thinking, and Elimus says, wait a minute, they're trying to fool you. They are not true, true uh, Jewish people because they're following this false Jesus. And therefore, you can, you can hear 
the, the conversation being interrupted a number of times until probably uh, Paul was just getting fed up with this, this child of the devil. But Sergio wanted to hear the word of God, and he continued to listen to Paul. And uh, as he listens to them, he recognizes that there's two differences of, of interpretations. But Elimus was a false prophet. And like Jeremiah 23, 21 says about false prophets, I did not send these prophets, and yet they have run with their message, their interpretation. I did not speak to them, and yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Jesus himself had warned uh, the disciples, watch out for false prophets, for they will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Matthew 7.15 Now Paul wouldn't have heard that from Jesus. And Barnabas uh, might wasn't there to get that instruction. But John Mark was. John Mark was a guy that from the beginning with Jesus, from the early early on from the wedding of Cana on to the 70 disciples, John Mark probably heard uh, the training that, yes, there will be uh, false prophets, ferocious wolves. We don't know if John Mark uh, had shared those things, but when they saw Elimus, someone knew, and the Spirit probably guided Paul and Barnabas to say, no, this man really isn't following the Spirit of God, and he is a false prophet. And therefore, what, uh, what happened was, uh, then Saul, who was also called Paul. Now, this is the first time that Saul's name begins to change for Sergius to understand. But Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks straight at Elimus, and he said, You are a child of the devil, and you are an enemy of everything that is right, and you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. Wow, what a sentence. And you're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately this mist and this darkness came over him, and he groped, bumping into things, looking for someone to help him, to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. Now notice it says here in the passage, he didn't just believe because he saw Elimus being blinded. It says he believed because he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. In other words, the Holy, Spirit's, uh, Holy Spirit blinded Elimus, but he opened the eyes of Sergius Paulus, and he became the first convert there in Cyprus. And so, this interesting to me 
that the Spirit of God was training Barnabas and Saul, much like he had trained Peter and the other disciples. As Peter rebuked Simon uh, in Acts 8.20 for trying to buy power through the Holy Spirit. Also, uh, Paul likewise rebuked Elimus in Acts 13 uh, here for, re for misrepresenting God because he was against, he opposed the work of the Holy Spirit. And so in this situation, in this story, you really find an interesting play where God's Spirit was working through just ordinary men like Paul and Barnabas. And then, let's move on. They leave, they leave Cyprus, and something similar takes place in another place in Cyrene where the Spirit of God is at work. And so they go to Cyrene. Now we know Cyrene from... Uh, the story from before, that as you look across the Mediterranean, up in Antioch, there was the, the, the disciple, the, the prophet and teacher, we're not sure which one, but it says that, uh, that there was Barnabas, and then there was um, si Simeon, uh, who is also called Niger. Simeon was from Cyrene. And not only was Simeon from Cyrene, uh, Simeon called Niger, but Lucius was from the same place called Cyrene. So here Barnabas and Paul leave their hometown and for whatever reason, they go to the hometown here of Simeon and Lucius. This, too, is a Roman-occupied territory and much uh, sought after as one of the uh, places near the coast that they would have, uh, again, uh, economic business uh, transportation, and uh, it was one of the strongholds of the, the, uh, the Roman Empire. This is the hometown of Simon, the one who carried the cross on the Via Dolorosa. He brought his family from, from Cyrene, his two boys and his wife. And, and notice, interestingly, about Simeon. Simeon is also called, like Peter, Simon, Simon, Simeon. It's a Hebrew root. But Simeon, I get them confused sometimes. But Simeon is called Niger. Simeon is called Black. He's a black man. His skin is black. And it's certainly reasonable to think that because of his nickname and because he's from Libya, you understand that the Spirit of God is bringing in a man, uh, again, a Af northern African, uh, because God is not so concerned about racist coloring of skin. Notice how, this, uh, notice how the Holy Spirit would use a number of black men in history to be leaders and influential in the church. Uh, you think about um, uh, Moses. In Moses, uh, in Exodus 2, Moses was considered an Egyptian. Having grown up in Egypt, he was considered an Egyptian. Well, why? Because the Egyptians were considered dark-skinned people. And actually, I think that's what the, land, that's what the word Egypt means a dark land. Uh, there was a, 
the woman in the Song of Solomon, the Shulamite woman, she was a dark of dark skin. Job, too, had a hue that was dark. He says, my skin is black in, in uh, Job 30.30. And even in Revelation 1.14, uh, you find color of skin really uh, not so important, um, but it's, it's, it's referenced there, and I just want you to hear to honor that because Revelation 1.14 about Jesus, it says his hair was as white as wool, but his feet were like brass. They were brown. They were, they were brown. And, but even so, I think it's very important to recognize that, that God is colorblind. It could, be, it could very well be that Simeon was black. It could be very well that Lucius was black. But the key thing to keep in mind as you hear these things is we can't really know for sure uh, about skin color because it really doesn't matter. But what really does matter is that the Lord doesn't look on the outward appearance as he would talk about to David. But it says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth to strengthen those hearts who are fully committed to him, whatever color it is. And that's in 2 Corinthians 16, 9. Well, Lucius and Simeon were two prophets were prophets and teachers there in Antioch, but they came from this town of Cyrene. So let's look for a minute about this, this, uh, this place called Cyrene. Uh, oh, and by the way, let me back up. Simeon was called Niger. That was his nickname. But Simeon was right after Barnabas. It's Barnabas first, then Simeon, number two, and the order is important, then Lucius, and then Menaean, and last of all comes uh, Paul. But Simeon had a high rank among the leaders in Antioch. Lucius was number three. Now, the interesting thing about Lucius is, is I don't know if this is true. We don't know who this Lucius is, except he was from Cyrene. And somebody, uh, some scholars believe that this Lucius might be the Apostle Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, who wrote the Gospel of Acts. But not everybody agrees. Eusebius, the church historian, tells us that the author of Luke was born in Antioch, Syria. But some make the case that this Lucius from Cyrene is the doctor that uh, Paul met. And uh, so there's a discrepancy of who this, who this, um, of the birthplace of Luke. But we know for sure that Lucius Whoever he was, whether he was Luke the Apostle, uh, the, the Gospel writer, or Luke, Lucius the uh, prophet up in Antioch, uh, even so, A. Lucius was known and honored by Paul for his service to the Lord. And so Paul sets apart this Lucius to honor him in the book of Romans and in other places you'll see. But as they work in Cyrene, uh, they again go to the synagogues 
and they again talk about the message of Christ. And what they say there, you'll see next week, you could read probably the same sermon that he gives in Cyprus and he gives in Cyrene. But understand this, that at this point, uh, we're cutting off in the middle of Acts because uh, there's more to the story. But all we want to know today is this, is that the Spirit does set apart people and, and sends them out, one, through a team. And then two, it's the Spirit guiding them to particular places and particular people, to particular uh, circumstances, because the Spirit of God is working behind the scenes to work through all those who are called. And three, the Spirit of God sends them out with a message. And that message is that which unifies and mobilizes the team. And when they had fasted and prayed and started ministering to the Lord, they took off. Here's our application for us this week. As we think about these men, the, the model that they give to us, the motivation that they give to us to, to know Christ and to make him known, we too need to learn to be sensitive and to be obedient to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We too could learn how to be open to how God is using others and affirm others in their calling and their service. Or we too need to be open to have others uh, call, affirm and, and uh, recognize the calling in us. Three, to be open to be open to be moved to those who are seeking the Lord and then to engage in any opposition with love and wisdom those who are interfering with the Holy Spirit. But let me, just, let me leave you with this, that as Barnabas and Simeon and Lucius uh, went to their hometowns to make disciples, so likewise, we are to go to those nearest to us and to share the same offer that Christ can give you new life and Christ brings the good news and the power of the Holy Spirit will open people's eyes as we are just witnesses for Christ. Well, we're going to stop here and we're going to continue to see how the Spirit of God moves his people and mobilizes the gospel for his glory. This includes you. It includes me. So let me close the word of prayer. Now, Father, take this word and use it to encourage us to study carefully these uh, little details of Scripture and, and help us to be sensitive to you. Because if you want to uh, work through us, we don't want to be resistant to you. Father, would you fill us with the Spirit of God? Would you give us the wisdom? And would you give us the power to love those who, are, who still don't know you? And again, Father, build your church and bring those who don't know you into the kingdom. For your glory and our growth, we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys have a blessed week, and I'll see you as soon as I can. God protect you and bless you. Bye-bye.